The reading of the scriptures from Romans chapter 15, reading verses 30 to 33, I invite your uh, uh, reverent attention uh, to the reading of God's word here in Romans 15. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the uh, trailing uh, vestiges of the vestiges of the great uh, Puritan theologians uh, in 19th century uh, England was Charles Spurgeon. He's a Baptist preacher and evangelist, and on one occasion uh, he uh, came to visit uh, our own country. Uh, and an American pastor uh, asked him uh, the secret of his great influence and success, because again, uh, his uh, church meetings were filled to capacity, uh, and he had a great deal of influence. Uh, he uh, trained students to go all over the United Kingdom and uh, proclaim the truths of the scriptures. So again, he had an unprecedented uh, influence and success. And so, what's an American pastor to do? Well, uh, how come you're so successful? Spurgeon uh, pondered for a moment and said, my people pray for me. It's a great, really, uh, reminder of our text this morning. It's also a great reminder of, uh, of uh, the history of the church. I trust our church, uh, indelible uh, imprint that we can leave on our own culture and society. Another great uh, member of the Reformation, uh, John Knox, uh, Scottish evangelist and uh, theologian who studied under John Calvin. It is said of uh, Knox that one of the greatest events of Scottish history was when Knox would retire upstairs in his home to pray. Uh, and when you think of Knox, he, again, uh, had incredible success and influence. Uh, think of uh, the Presbyterian Church. Influence of Knox, confessional statements. Uh, Scottish uh, common sense realism, incredible influence over the uh, early decades of American history. Uh, he's saying, so, well, Phil, what is that? It's just simply that we make decisions based on faith and reason. So incredibly important. It's also so incredibly vacant in our country today. We don't think in America, we feel. We make decisions based on feelings instead of faith and reason. So again, there's a waning influence of men 
like uh, Knox and Charles Spurgeon? How do we recover it? What we pray. And here the Apostle Paul requests a prayer for his ministry and its outcome, and he closes in prayer for them in a benediction. So we're going to look at his uh, prayer. Uh, he asked the church to pray for him, verses uh, 30 to 32. Uh, he gives them uh, two motives to, to pray in uh, two great divine agents and the Son and the Spirit. It's one thing to ask people to do something. It's also just as important to tell them uh, that they have a motive, have a reason as to why they should do it. Uh, and the first is uh, our Savior, the Lord, and the second, uh, the Great Spirit, uh, chiefly the love of the Spirit. Why should you pray? The Lord and the Spirit. Uh, of course, we know the Lord is the first agent who purchased the church. We exist spiritually because of Him. We can only pray because of Him. And uh, we are taught to pray in His name because He opened the door of heaven to us. And He gives us access to Heavenly Father. Uh, I would very quickly uh, uh, remind you dutifully that if you do not know Christ as your Savior, then you have no access to God the Father. And the doors of heaven are closed to you. Because there is no other name by which you can gain access to heaven than that of our Lord Jesus Christ. No other name whatsoever. Search all the annals of history and all of its libraries and scuba dive to the deepest parts of the ocean. You will find only, only the name of Christ gives you access to God the Father and the doors of heaven. Also, the second uh, motive to pray is the source of love in the Spirit. And the Spirit sanctifies uh, the church. Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, Paul appeals to the love of the Spirit. Now, because love is uh, always in demand and profoundly needed in ministry, because dealing with people is uh, oftentimes difficult and challenging. Uh, but love is the great lubricant uh, that makes our labors uh, successful. Absent love and nothing happens. Nothing happens. Another motive, of course, is the sovereignty of God, absent which there is no confidence at all in prayer. Uh, one of my great reminders of church history and the theology of our own church is uh, even even those who are opposed to our theology in the evangelical world repair to the great sovereignty of God. Because absent that, prayer is meaningless. Nothing will happen save uh, the God who is sovereign over every event of life. The greatness of our God. Isn't it interesting? In our own age, Paul is giving implicit reminder here that you and I should understand uh, the great triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Two motives to pray in uh, the Son and the Spirit, and then finally we pray to God the Father. 
great error has come into our church. Some of the most popular preachers of our day deny the Trinity. How sad is that? But they should study the prayers of the Apostle Paul. And they will be corrected. Uh, furthermore, this is a particular uh, uh, prayer of striving for help in the work. Strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Paul is asking for prayer. Uh, by the way, there's a great application there, is, is, uh, is there not? Uh, you and I belong to a church. Uh, we engage sometimes socially in the church, visit with people. Uh, we have great, sometimes compelling needs. We should recruit people to pray for us. If Paul could do it, perhaps the greatest theologian in history of the church, uh, then certainly we who are lesser should recruit people to pray for us because we are profoundly needy people. Uh, the striving uh, for help uh, in prayer references a persistent and steeled focus in light of the theological conflict that always followed the Apostle Paul. And I, I would remind you, not just the Apostle Paul, theological conflict, seemingly in my own estimation, is growing more and more in our own country. Uh, as a reminder to us that we should be uh, striving in prayer for God to work. Uh, it's a compound verb that's uh, only used here. Used one time. Striving in prayer for me. Uh, the simplex verb from which the compound form uh, is uh, is made, of course, is, is much more common. Let's look at a couple of... Uh, Instances where uh, this verb is used. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12. Uh, Paul says, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, uh, sends you his greeting, always laboring earnest for you, earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured the will of God, striving for you in his prayers. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight. Uh, the fight is striving. Take hold of eternal life, which you were called, and you were made uh, the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Uh, both, both the uh, verbal and nominal form are used here. Fight the good fight. Striving in prayer. Uh, the imperative uh, is used in 2 Timothy 4.7. Uh, pardon me, just, just, just the verbal form. Second uh, Timothy 4.7, Paul says, I fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. It's very interesting that the, uh, uh, the, the phrase, the good fight, is first. 
in the order of the sentence, bringing great stress to it. Uh, the authors of scriptures couldn't bold something like we can uh, underline something and command our computers to make something bold, make it stand out, but they simply shift word order to, to, to bring emphasis to it. It's very interesting to, uh, from this verb, to, to strive, to fight, we have our English word to agonize. So, so this is not just prayer. It's intense prayer. It's agonizing prayer. Now, I, I suspect some of you have done that. You've ever had a sick parent or a sick child? A sick loved one? Life in the balance? Uh, maybe a child that's uh, walked away from the faith? No, you, you know what it means to agonize in prayer. And, and it is a reminder, I think, a telling reminder in our own context and for our own age that um, the secret to influence and success in the Christian faith is depending on God in prayer. Absent which, nothing will happen. Nothing meaningful anyway. One of my favorite stories in this regard is Augustine's mother, Monica. Monica used to agonize in prayer for her son because he did not know Jesus Christ. A churchman once told her the prayers of of so many tears cannot be lost. And, of course, uh, critically important to the life of the church that Augustine came to faith. He's one of the great church fathers. Uh, enhances our understanding of the doctrines of the sovereign grace of God. Think of, think of the words to Monica, the prayers of so many tears, Agonizing prayer cannot be lost. Prayer, as you know, is a means of uh, grace ordained by God to advance the faith. Um, but I think it's essential to remember that sometimes it's agonizing prayer. Recognition that God, if you don't, if you don't change the heart of my son, my daughter, maybe my husband, my wife, Nothing will happen. God, you must work. One of my uh, favorite uh, baseball coaches at the collegiate level was uh, at the university that I graduated from, named Gary Ward. He once said that those who work the hardest are the last to surrender. Well, he said that of uh, sports. It's really true of prayer. Now again, it's not that God takes note of, uh, you know, you, you gave to me a prayer this morning that registered uh, 35 on my Richter scale in heaven. It's not that at all, but it's a reminder that our prayers simply have a way of deepening our radical dependence upon God to work, the necessity for Him to work, and our absolute uh, dependence upon Him for success and influence. And it, I think it applies to prayer. 
those who pray the hardest sometimes are the last to surrender. Now, the content of the prayer is uh, verse 31, twofold. First, he asks for deliverance uh, from the disobedient in Junia. Two of uh, Paul's uh, great enemies were the Judaizers. Uh, their theology was uh, radically errant, Christ plus. Uh, the moment you say Christ plus, uh, the plus um, makes you a heretic. Uh, I might lessen that someone, some, somewhat because sometimes people say Christ plus out of just simply the ignorance of theology uh, become a little bit dull because I don't understand precisely, but when you start adding to the work of Christ something that you do, then you simply redefine the gospel. So we, we would say at Grace Bible Church, Christ plus nothing. His work alone avails. And of course, Jews would uh, follow Paul throughout his great missionary journeys and stir up strife with the civil authorities and the citizens to um, do harm. And sometimes these turned very violent. Paul would have to flee for his life. I remind you in our own country, um, have you ever heard of such a thing as shootings in churches? Yeah, you have. almost unprecedented in American history. People would come into a church and begin to execute people. But it happens, sadly. Reminding us of our need to pray. Uh, you hear sometimes uh, people say that there should be a suspension of the First Amendment, our Constitution. As you know from your uh, uh, civics courses in high school, there are five elements of the First Amendment. One that relates to us most profoundly is the freedom of religion. Uh, by the way, is there a footnote to that? Any exclusion clauses in the Constitution? No, there are not. We are free to gather and to worship the great God of heaven. But we should not take that for granted. You take it for granted at your peril. There are no guarantees uh, that someday civil authorities might uh, ask Grace Bible Church to shut it doors, to shut our doors, because perhaps of, of some foolishness like uh, hate speech. Uh, in other words, we have our enemies too. That's why we should pray. That's why Paul is asking the church to pray for him. Certainly, if Paul needed prayer, then we should pray for one another and for the ministry here. And take nothing for granted because we live in evil days, profoundly evil. I think the evil that I see in my own uh, personal uh, study of uh, contemporary American history is much more pronounced than it was 50 years ago or 40 years ago. If you would have told me 50 years ago that uh, there'd be such things going on, I would, no, it'll never happen in America. 
what's happening before my own very eyes. Because we live in evil days. And it is a good reminder that if you want your influence and success to advance in the life of the church, you need to depend upon God in prayer. Reminded of the great uh, text of Scripture. Uh, Psalm 127, verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman wakes in vain. Except we pray. Our labors oftentimes will be in vain, empty. Nothing at all will happen. 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly, be glorified, just as it did also with you. Part of the content of your prayers that the word might advance, run to and fro. Enter the hearts of the people we're praying for and turn those hearts upside down that the object of our prayer might seek the Savior for there is no salvation whatsoever absent Him. Uh, I again would repair to something I said earlier, encourage you to develop prayer alliances within our own church. It's incredibly important. I mean, I understand. Oh, I'm, I'm so shy and bashful about laying bare my needs for someone. And again, that takes wisdom. You know, but you develop relationships, I trust, in church. You sometimes grow a little bit closer to others and someone else, and you have a sense of confidence in them. And sometimes you are beset with poverty and you you ask them to pray for specific needs in your life. Again, I encourage you to be wise about that. But but again, you make alliances. Those alliances are critical. Every, Every Monday morning, the Lord willing, there are five individuals that I pray for relating to the Gospel. Generally, it relates to children. Imagine that, those of you that are parents. I pray for them by name. I know the struggle, the heartache. I will tell you, the Lord willing, three times a month, every Saturday morning, I pray for everyone in this church by name. Notwithstanding infant children, I'm still struggling to to learn to learn their names. I know you know them all, but I still struggle to get a list of names. But why is that? Because it's been my privilege to have a relationship with everyone in this room and to understand the great battles you're fighting. And how can those battles be won? Well, they can be won by depending upon God in prayer. Maybe you could consider doing that. Maybe just once a month. And then a couple of years, graduate to twice a month. Why is that? 
because the adhesion and the glue that holds the church together is manifested in depending upon God. Makes us unique. Makes us unique. And so, um, those prayer alliances are critical to, uh, to deliverance. And uh, for the Christian, deliverance is always certain. It may not be uh, immediate, but it's always certain. Because God is always going to rescue His people. Always. Now, one of my favorite texts, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Everyone whose name is found written in the book will be rescued. You think you could make it on that prayer? If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, your name has been written in the eternal book of redemption before the foundation of the world. And that God has set in motion the greatest rescue operation of all time in Jesus Christ. Dispatch of the Spirit. He rescues all His known. And none are lost. So we can be confident in should be confident. Second request is that his service in delivering a financial contribution would be acceptable in the church in Jerusalem. Again, uh, many of the Jewish Christians were struggling with the very notion of a Gentile church. That's what the Apostle Paul was about. He was God's agent to uh, a Gentile church. And uh, they struggled with the notion of God saving Gentiles. Uh, perhaps even taking money from Gentiles. And so their Gentile churches had made a collection. They uh, give the collection to the Apostle Paul to take it to the church at Jerusalem that was struggling. Uh, I'll remind you that our theology uh, is not very popular today. Uh, because truth is never popular in an evil day. Uh, and this makes our, our service all the more challenging and therefore all... Uh, the more requirement there is to pray to depend upon God. Uh, and therefore, we pray in light of the danger both corporately and individually. And we pray for another very important reason. There are no guarantees in life. None whatsoever. Encourage uh, those of you that are married when your spouse walks out of the door to go to work on Monday morning, there is no guarantee anywhere that they will return. You should pray for them. Children, you should pray for your parents. I know, you say, well, that's my parents' job. Family devotions. No, you should pray for your parents. God would protect them, preserve them, keep them. There are no guarantees whatsoever that one of them won't uh, become profoundly ill and be lost. Temporarily, of course. Remember as a young man, one of the most violent times of prayer in my own life. My father had cancer. He lost the battle. 
I was a very young man, 20, 21 or so. He was very young, 50, 51. There are no guarantees, ladies and gentlemen, that you or your children will live to a ripe old age. So pray. Maybe even agonize in prayer that God would be gracious. And as you so agonize, you will come to the profound reality that every day of your life is a life of uh, and moment of dependence upon the grace of God. Purpose of the request is that when uh, he comes, he can come in joy and uh, be refreshed in his spirit by being with them. Verse 32. Uh, this, uh, this verb refreshed is a triple compound uh, verb, literally to rest with or to lie down with. Again, the only place it's used in the New Testament, uh, it's used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6. You would, uh, it's worthwhile to turn to Isaiah chapter 11 where this verb is used, verse 6. I love this text. So beautiful of the work that God will perform in the church. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little boy will lead them. It's great metaphorical language for, uh, for peace. Peace in the church. Eternal peace that we will enjoy in heaven. And you think of, uh, uh, you think of a, of a deer lying down with the hunter. <laughs> uh, well, God will make it happen. Great enemies, uh, sometimes people that struggle together, God creates peace. And like Isaiah, the use here is metaphorical. Uh, like being refreshed. Uh, sometimes I find in my own life I just get so exhausted if I just take one of those things they call a power nap for, you know, 10 minutes. I, I just kind of brought back to life refreshed. Paul wants to be refreshed. Think of the violence of his labors, uh, difficulty of his ministry, needs refreshment. He's going to get it from them. By the way, we should refresh one another. Uh, should be a concept of our uh, fellowship. Peace in the church is meant to refresh us because conflict is very wearisome. Uh, we know from the life of the Apostle Paul uh, that there were times uh, that uh, the churches that he planted were of great anguish to him. Think of the church at Corinth. Second epistle to him, Paul is... Uh, under threat of being cashiered by them. Imagine someone firing the Apostle Paul. Good reminder. Like, well, Barisach, we just, you know, peace will always exist in Grace Bible Church. My friend, there are no guarantees. You need to pray. God would work. Refresh his people with the great doctrines of grace. Uh, I read a great. Uh, illustration of this that uh, 
in a measure, it's a story almost of theological revival in the contemporary American church. It's a denomination uh, called the Christian Reformed Church. It's a heritage of the, the Dutch Reformed Church. Chiefly, those churches are in the northern parts of our country. Uh, but when they had a denominational meeting, they affirmed their commitment to the Heidelberg Catechism and to reject alternative lifestyles. And the affirmation that the proper place for conjugal relationships or in a marriage between a husband and a wife. They affirm their commitment to those things. Our culture seemingly is going south, and the Christian Reformed Church affirms its commitment to biblical truth and theology by going north. Great Heidelberg Catechism. I trust you're familiar with it. I trust those of you that are parents can use it uh, to instruct your children. Bring them up in the doctrinal realities of our great faith. And labor in prayer to do so. Because I promise you, when they leave home, your influence will wax and wane upon them. So agonize in prayer now. God to work mightily. It's a great story, Christian Reformed Church. How was uh, this revival or this uh, slide reversed? The church had been drifting, drifting south. Then it was reversed. The article I read said that many young people were, were praying for God to work. And God answered those prayers. And of course, many were refreshed or encouraged. And uh, we must never lose sight of the fact that we should pray and depend upon God to bring times of refreshment. I call that revival. The intensity of the refreshment is what makes it revival. But it's the product of prayer. It's the product of men and women and boys and girls depending upon God, for God to work, for God to be gracious. And success and influence in the life of the church comes from men and women depending upon God, trusting and hoping in Him. And in turn, verse 33, Paul prays for the church in a benediction. He first wants them to pray for him. And now he's going to pray for them. I love that correspondence. Have you ever asked uh, someone to pray for you and then never appended uh, your role in praying for them? Again, I love those alliances. I think they're critical in the life of the church. I would remind you that uh, our church gathers uh, once a month to pray for one another. Um, 
Why is that? Because our success is a product of depending upon God. Uh, Let's look at his prayer for them. May the God of peace be with you. Peace is a divine attribute. God is the source of peace within the church. Our politicians are always uh, praying for peace. I certainly pray for Ukraine. Pray for other countries. But, but again, ultimately that can only happen by the grace of God. I'm not unmindful that organizations get involved and work out peace treaties, but oftentimes those unravel too, do they not? God is the source ultimately of peace. He is the great headwaters of peace. Galatians chapter 5, verse 20, 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. You know the third one? Peace. Fruit of the Spirit. Peace in the life of the church comes from the fruit of the Spirit. And again, we shouldn't take this for granted. It's a peace that only God can give. You can... You can never take God's grace for granted. First Thessalonians 5.23 May the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How in the world can you stand before God without blame? The God of peace. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 Now may the Lord of peace Himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. By application, I'd like to tell you something that's of radical importance in our own country. Peace never occurs in isolation. Orthodoxy must be present. I'm sure that well-meaning Christians cave to heterodoxy over attributes like love and peace, uh, but there can be no love or peace when truth is vacated. Turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Practice what things? What they have learned and received and heard from the great Apostle Paul. Orthodoxy is what he labored to establish. The truths of the Gospel, the great reality of the Incarnation, substitutionary atonement. Practice these things. Live as if you believe them in radical trust and hope in God. And what will happen? And the God of peace will be with you. Peace and truth go together. Never in isolation. So many Christians are struggling over that. Well, you you people that are always pounding the table on orthodoxy, you just don't have peace in your heart. Can never have peace in your heart absent orthodoxy. These two go together. You ever separate them. You've done surgery that you are not authorized to do. Remember one of my great heroes in the faith, Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield. 
great 19th, 20th century American theologian. Towards the end of his life, he had the sad prospect of seeing his own church wax and wane over the great confessional standards. Imagine that. It's a great battle going on to take control of Princeton Seminary. Warfield would oftentimes take walks. One day, his paths crossed with a lady and she was a member of the church and she exhorted Warfield, let us pray for peace. Warfield's response was, no, let us pray for war. Because the peace they were seeking was peace absent the truth. Absent the truth, there, there must be a greater conflict to recover it. Because the God of peace is also the God of truth. I would encourage you to reflect upon that because of its radical importance. Everywhere people are saying, peace and love... These are the 1960s? I mean, you know, it's, well, it really kind of is. Departure from the truth is a great error, and there can be no peace whatsoever absent truth. And there is no peace absent truth. More importantly, one cannot truncate the attributes of God. It's the God of truth and the God of peace. Therefore, because God is sovereign, you and I must pray for the ministry here. You just take it for granted. Well, we're going to meet next Sunday. I know, because that's when the elders have so declared that we meet every Sunday morning for worship. At uh, What time is it? Uh, sometime around 11. Uh, is that guaranteed next Sunday, by the way? There are no guarantees. Well, you should pray. You ever pray for the elders? Put me at the top of the list. Why would I pray for the elders? Remember what the Apostle Paul tells the Ephesian church? Men from among your own selves speaking to the Ephesian elders, and he knows some of them are going to defect. Take nothing for granted, ladies and gentlemen. Because we are a people that depend upon God's grace. And success and influence in ministry is marked by depending upon God in prayer. And the great promise of God. Isaiah 26.3 The steadfast of mind that will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in thee. I love that text. My life sometimes gets upside down too. God will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is fixed upon you. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, 
which surpasses understanding, will garrison your heart and mind through Jesus Christ. Who knows what turmoil awaits us tomorrow? God knows. So let us every morning repair to him that he would work, advance the faith, preserve and keep us, that we might be his agents in this fallen world. Well, prayer is an expression of our absolute dependence upon God. Uh, for God to influence events and to do what we cannot do in changing hearts. It's also a divinely appointed means that changes us. Like Paul, we need, we need prayer. And like Paul, we should give it to others as well. 